Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. It's good to see you this morning. Hey, it, why doesn't it, it just rain, right? It's like, I was driving out this morning, and, and actually I was driving home from, from the uh, metropolis of Birchwood uh, yesterday, and uh, we have a camper out there on the river, and uh, it was a beautiful day to be camping. It, it's kind of one of those days that you just want to lay around and watch um, Tennessee football and hope for a win. And um, too soon, sorry. <laughs> okay, maybe you just want to lay around and know that Alabama's going to win again. <laughs> maybe too soon. I'm a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, and so uh, we won yesterday, like 56 to 45. It looked more like one of our basketball scores. So, you know, as I lay there and look at uh, watch those yesterday and listen to the rain, and and I and I thought about you know this this sermon from the uh, from Ephesians chapter four. If you want to, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do. Maybe you'll turn there this morning through those first four verses. I looked at all the different ball games yesterday and the diversity of how each place that was, you know, each stadium had different rules. And so, you know, Texas A&M, who beat Florida, that's a good thing. Um, I can say that my, I'm, my pastor um, is a Florida fan, so I, I bet they're getting some hellfire and brimstone this morning from the pulpit. But, but all that to say is they were loaded with people. And then you look to, to North Carolina over there, and I think they had, uh, you know, 2,000 people. In the state. Just the diversity of that. Then folks wearing masks, not wearing masks. Um, just, you know, social distancing, not social distancing. In the world that we live in right now, if there is anything that we need is, is unity, uh, but there's nothing that we see really that's gravitating towards unity. Uh, in my Twitter feed, um, back in the day, I could look at it, and oh, there was always di- you know disunity, division amongst uh, political people. I would follow. That that kind of comes with the territory, right? Um, but then it, then it started getting into other areas, and so I can look at my Twitter feed, and whether it's political, which everything seems to be politicized now, or um, Carolina basketball, or if it's, um, if it's um, other pastors that I follow, or whatever, everything has to, we're all, everybody's fighting. And then lock us up for six months, some of you with multiple children, um, or some of you with your spouse for the very first time. It's, um, it, let me just tell you, this is funny, but it's not really funny. It's amazing the counseling that's going to take place now after these six months. And it's not just from being with the kids. It's just like my husband, he used to be on the road a lot, and now he's home all the time, right? And now, I, you know, now we're having to actually communicate with each other and, and decide if we still love each other after all these years. Or, or now I've been thrust into being a homeschool teacher, um, and, and it's like, I haven't, <laughs> you know, if it was me, my kids would just, they would just suffer. You know, I could teach them some things, but math and, and all that is like, that's not my strong point. You know, one apple plus one apple equals, I think, two apples. That, that's about it. But all of this other stuff, it would be tough. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that that's, that's not me. And I know that uh, Jeff, uh, we talk a lot as he prays for you. And uh, let me just say, he loves you guys. He loves you as a as uh, co-laborers with him. We talk a lot about your church just because that's what us pastors get to do. But I, I feel like he's a, the little brother. I'm an only child that I never had. And so while he served at Westwood uh, for me for a season as a, a youth pastor there, um, it, it, we just God just kind of knit our lives together. And so we get to talk ministry a lot. 
And so um, before I go further, maybe just, just tell you that, that um, uh, my name is Paul Davis, and I'm from Westwood Baptist Church. I'm the associate pastor there, so we send greetings to you. But we've had a long history of connectivity with Pastor Al through, through missions and certainly golf um, outings and things of that nature, but along with Jeff uh, uh, being uh, a part of our church. And I think last time I brought this picture of him when he looked like this little nerd with big glasses and all. And, and so God just grew him up there and sent him out and sent him back, and then we sent him back to, to you guys. And, and the Lord has just done a great work in his life, and, and he will continue to do uh, a great work um, in the life of your church. So be in prayer for, for him as they get a little bit of rest and relaxation um, this weekend. Well, the, the unity that we desire in the church should be important to us because it's important to God. Um, I, I think as Christians, we should um, be on the same page there. If it's important to him, it should be important to us. And that the Lord Jesus prayed that all of his disciples would be one in their fellowship. We remember him praying. And, and with him, uh, that they would be one in their life together. So uh, that they would be one in fellowship and one in him, knowing who he is and proclaiming, pro- proclaiming who he is as Lord and Savior. But Paul will tell us in these verses today that we are unified as one in the Spirit and that, we should be evi- that it should be evident among Christians. should be very evident. We should be... Um, a conundrum for the world, which we probably are in a lot of ways, but when they look at us and look at the diversity, even of the diversity of the backgrounds gathered here this morning, and how God brings it together in the, into the body of Christ, the, the uniqueness that each one of you bring, all under the umbrella of Christ, and then yet unified under him. The world should be scratching their head and going, how does that work together? Because you've got all of these these cracked vessels that God has brought together with unique giftings and unique desires and opinions and all that, but somehow, collectively together, they are accomplishing things. And we believe they actually love this Jesus that they proclaim and that they put on the back of their cars and put on their T-shirts and and put on their Facebook pages and and, and all. I think they might really love him because we see it as evidence in their lives. Easy to preach on Sunday morning. Live like Jesus wants you to live. Everybody's on the team. Yay. Walk out into Monday morning and life hits you in the face. And it's a hard journey. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy. So if you're a new Christian and somebody's told you that, they lied to you. If, you don't, if you've not come to the Lord today and you just think that, oh, I'm going to come to the Lord and everything is going to be peachy keen, it's just going to be a rosy path, then that's not true. Read the, read the New Testament. <laughs> Most of his followers uh, died at the hands of uh, angry people who did not love Jesus. Most of them went through trials and tribulations. As a matter of fact, James says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials and tribulations because it produces things in you that, that makes you more effective for the kingdom. So it is not a rosy path. But what it does for us, what we can cling to that we'll talk about today that even unifies us is that in the midst of your trial right now, whatever it looks like, if it's a bad diagnosis from a doctor or if it's a loss of a job due to COVID or if it's, you know, Lord, help me, if I have these children at home, another six months kind of situation. Listen, there's hope in the midst of that that you can cling to that's greater than any, than any uh, self-help book, any guy that appears on TV that's got all the answers. There's a hope that you can cling to that men and women who gave their lives for clung to to the very last death and did not turn away from that hope. That's the hope that can unite us today. 
But however, we're fallen people, so we don't drift towards unity. You know that if you've been married any length of time. You don't necessarily drift towards unity. Oh, that honeymoon year. Everything is fabulous, right? And then year two comes in, and then year three comes in, and then four comes in, and then babies come in, and all that. And, and, and unity's difficult. Unity's difficult between two people in a marriage. But let's look at a church with diverse opinions, ideas, experiences, And how difficult is that to walk in unity? We're prone to drift apart. Let's see what the Apostle Paul says here in these first four verses here this morning. He is therefore, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, a prisoner for the Lord. Here's poor Paul. Part of that rosy path of being a Christ follower. Back in prison again for proclaiming Christ. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless the reading of your word this morning. Uh, Father, we recognize that your word is the very truth that transforms us. So, Father, from the words that you inspired our brother Paul to write this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you teach us and continue to transform us and to show us the ability that we have as your children to walk in unity together for your glory and ultimately for our joy. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Well, with a possible uh, exception of the book of Romans, which we're going through at Westwood right now, I love it. It's so rich, but some weeks it's so rich, and, and it's just, hey, this is really good stuff. And then the next week you come in and go, I get kicked in the teeth. It's that type of theology and that type of doctrine that Paul was writing to the Romans. But, but in the book um, of Romans, there's probably the heaviest uh, amount of doctrine in there that you could find in the New Testament. But a short second to that would be the book of Ephesians. Because in chapter 1 through 3, Paul's spoken of these things. He's spoken of predestination and election, adoption, redemption, the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, rebirth, the work of God joining people from all nations and walks of life together in one holy body of Christ, the church. This is, this is a marvelous selection. If you look at, at this uh, first three, uh, it just gets Paul excited. It gets me too excited. He gets charged up. And then we, we should agree that, that Paul ends it when, in a doxology in chapter 3. And we should agree with him when he says, To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we, we should say this passionately and intently if we have understood the teaching in these first three chapters. You see, the, the letter doesn't stop there, though. He didn't do the mic drop and walk out after laying some heavy doctrine down for, for them. He immediately goes on to say, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And he's telling us that this, that doctrinal input must be matched by an equal practical output of that doctrine in our lives. In other words, walk the walk. You heard that before? And we, we, we hear that. Um, but yet, do we do that? Easy to say, hard to live out, right? But in these first three verses, he, he's talking about this, this calling or this walk that he's calling us to do. To How then do I walk worthy? I've got to ask the question. So worth means to have what, a value, right? But it means more than just that. It means to have worth equal to one's position. 
in this case. And what you've been called to, brother and sister in Christ, walk in such a way that is honoring to God. So Paul's he's encouraging the Ephesians and the believers to, to give equal weight in their lives to doctrine or truth, the teachings of Jesus, and practice that doctrine and truth. And this is the truth that Paul has just taught them in those first three uh, chapters. And so he's, he's saying, okay, here's the meat. Now I'm going to tell you how to apply that in your everyday lives in the midst of everything that's going on. So in other words, if we believe what we say we believe, and we rejoice in what Christ has done and continues to do in our lives, then why would we not live in such a way that not only reflects that, but puts truth into action in our relationship in the church and in the lost world we inhabit, right? We're the salt and the light. We're the light and the darkness. That's what we've been called to do. But doctrine, some people get all, you know, don't talk to me about doctrine. That means seminary. No, doctrine is beliefs. It's the truth. It's, it's the teachings, in this case, from the teachings of Jesus. Paul is telling us not to put too much weight on the doctrine and none on practice, and not all the weight on practice and little on the doctrine. Let me tell you, there are guys that go to seminary that get great degrees from great seminaries who have a lot of doctrine but very little application and practice to that. And then there's some guys who just say, yeah, I don't need that seminary, I don't need all of that, and, 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 and can just serve at, at the, the local food bank and all that. But they put a lot of action into it, but they don't know what's driving that action other than these are good works that make me feel good or make others think he's a really good man. Therapeutic Christianity, I call it. It's the things that make us feel good. It's the, the traditions that we, we cling on to like they're biblical, but they're really not. They're just something that we've always done, and they make us feel good. Those are the things that we get confused. So if we'll let our actions be driven by God's word, then they're going to be more pure. That doesn't mean that they're going to be like, you know, unity does not mean uniformity. That everybody has to dress alike and look alike. Although you see, quote, religious sects across the world who, who say, you must look this way and all that, right? You know, line up with that. That's not what the Bible's saying about the unity and the beauty of the unity of the body of Christ. We are to celebrate our diversity. And let me just tell you something, Some, a lot of the, in Cleveland Bradley County, I know I'm in Hamilton, right? But in Cleveland Bradley County, 250-ish churches, a lot of those churches were not church plants. <laughs> a lot of those churches were, uh, were maybe called a church plant or a new church, but was a split from an old church because some people got mad at the other church and moved over here and started their own party. And, and then the world looks at that and goes, what in the world? I, you know, I can, I can argue at Amazon and, and go home and, and get away from that versus argue at Amazon and then go to church and argue over things. And the things that generally split the churches are not really doctrine, typically. Occasionally, there might be some her heretical teaching or some, some, uh, some misinformation of understanding from the congregation that, that, that clashes. But generally, it is things that we should hold in the open hand that we can have differing opinions of that the, that the Scriptures do not speak distinctly over. It's rarely that we're, we see these church splits over doctrinal things that Jesus had. It, it's amazing. That's, that's why we have to fight towards unity. That's why we have to guard our doctrine. Paul reminds Timothy of the importance, and the importance of this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's telling young Timothy this. We need both doctrine and practice of both biblical doctrines. And Paul's letters and the whole of scriptures teach us that we can never attach too much importance to doctrine, for it is out of the doctrines of 
the doctrines of God, the doctrines of man, the doctrines of salvation, that the direction and the energy for living the Christian life spring forth from these doctrines that God has inspired by his, by his Spirit to be placed in this Word for us to study, learn, understand, and apply. But at the same time, we can never put too much importance to the practice because it's a result, uh, it is the result of doctrine and it's proof of our divine nature. Social justice is... Not a practice of doctrine. No. Social justice is like is, we're serving uh, for the sake of salvation in there. There's a lot of people who practice social justice without knowing the doctrines of God. Paul's way of teaching um, this truth in verse 1 is to urge us to live worthy of our Christian calling. Older versions of the scriptures, or uh, might call it vocation, but, but calling is better in our contemporary setting because vocation has come to mean something we choose. I chose to go do this job. I chose this profession. While calling is something for which we are chosen. That's what Paul is driving home to them, that you have been chosen by God to be his children, to come into his church, to be unified together. You didn't just pick a vocation and show up. See, we remember here that even in the Greek, ecclesia, the church, the word for church means the called out ones. And the emphasis is upon what God has done, which is the point Paul has been elaborating in the opening chapters here in Ephesians, because God has set his hand upon us. He has called us, changing us from where we were and what we were into what we are now. We are to live as Christians in this world, changed by God. See, the first part of God's calling involves us being brought into light from darkness. That is, is it involves this understanding. The second part of is involves God calling us out from death to life. So in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says it this way. But because of his great love for us, one of the most favorite verses ever, that God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved. goes on to say, but it's because it's not of your own doing because here's what you do. You put it on your Awana vest. You'd put it on your, your, the back of your car. You'd, you'd put it on your, your Christian t-shirt. You'd, you'd put it on your Facebook page. or whatever, And you'd brag about what you did to bring redemption to you. But it's God, while we were yet dead, comes and draws us to himself by the power of his spirit and brings a lost and rebellious people. You realize if he did not interfere, <laughs> interfere in some lives and intervene in some lives, that we left to ourselves would just want more of ourselves. That's the fallenness of humanity. That, go back to Genesis 3. Left to ourselves, outside of God intervening in our lives, we would just want more of us. Want more of what we could do. This means that God has he's awakened us to new life and also gives us the power to live that life. It's because we are now spiritually alive that he's placed his spirit within us before we were spiritually dead that we are able to, to now heed Paul's urgings in the book here to live for God. So in the remainder of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul is going to develop two main themes that he'll walk in and one of those we'll pay, pay uh, particular attention to this morning. Both aspects of this worthy life that he's called us to walk with it. The first being the unity among the believers that we'll hit on this morning, but also the godly life, particularly in regard to other relationships. 
And, I, and, and you would see those two are inter, intertwined because you can't have unity without having some healthiness in those relationships too, right? So in the first three verses back to Paul and, uh, gives us the preliminary statement embracing both of these things. Be completely humble and gentle. <laughs> Be patient. You ever heard somebody, I'm so humble? You know, it's like, I'm so humble. Like, isn't that pride when you, you know, but you know, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep uh, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he shows us these five ways that we're going to look at here this morning to live as Christians that will cultivate unity in our relationships and most importantly, in the context of his church. So the first one this morning that Paul points us to, and what you'll see is these will build on each one, on each other, and culminate in the unified life. The first one being humility. Now everyone, right, everyone knows that Christians should be humble. Humility is the opposite of what, pride or, or self-assertion that we are great and, and he is not. If we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast, as we said, and Paul writes in chapter 2, it is evident that Christians cannot be proud. We are to do nothing out of selfish ambition, he says, or a vain conceit, but in humility we are to consider others better than ourselves. Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2, verse 3, that do you see that happening in the world? Uh, consider others better than ourselves. Now, I'm pretty sure that the, you can watch sports or you can watch politics. Um, it, it, it's all about me. It's, I got the answers. Or I'm the best, you know, I'm the, to, I'm the top of this, the, the echelon in the sport. Or whatever it is, we will always gravitate towards us being the star of the story. And if you don't know this, that the person that you look at in the mirror every morning is the person that lies to you the most. It really is. We'll justify anything in our lives. If you don't believe that, go back and read the story about David. <laughs> we lie to ourselves more than anybody. But to live in such a way that Paul's called us to, even as he spoke to the Philippians in his letter to them, it is not easy to do because our pride is easily wounded. But what we consider hurtful or unfair conduct by others. If you look at how certain people who act in angry manner or they're just usually disruptive people, or, and this is not across the board, but, but here's what I've had to learn in my life at the church. I've been at Westwood. I'll be, I'll be 55 in April. So I've been there since I was five. I've been there 50 years. I've seen a journey of a church. And I will tell you, I came on staff a little over 16 years ago. I will tell you, I had to learn to love people I did not like at some point in time when we went through a transition time there. It was very difficult. The only thing that kept me coming back to the church during those seasons was a call that I know that the Lord called me to for that season. He just didn't tell me the whole story, and I was not happy. <laughs> but but that, that call and that hope that, that he was going to do something in the midst of all of that is what helped me drive into the campus each week. And that those hurts that I would hear from other people who would say things out of ignorance that they didn't even know what they were talking about. But I took it personal because I know that's God's church, but that's my church. Not meaning I run it and I own it, but that's my church. That's where I've grown up. I wasn't birthed in the nursery, but I came right in kindergarten and they raised me the rest of the way. 
Um, and which is really funny because I'd have people come to me and go, yeah, usually a, a more mature person. And they would come to me and say, yeah, I remember when I used to change your diapers in the, in the nursery. I wasn't in the nursery. So hopefully you didn't change diaper, my diapers in kindergarten and first grade. But anyway, all that to say is that God bless you. Thank you for that, you know, sister or so-and-so. And, and, but, but yet I would say, I understand that a lot of people who sit in my office, who come for a counseling or just to work through some things, somebody has hurt them. Somebody has injured them with words or deeds or whatever. And so I understand that. But, but in our humility, we need to understand that sometimes that, that we need to give up our right to be right so that we don't hurt others. There are guys, typically, no. Reel that back in. In my opinion, in the past, it used to be guys because I saw that. doesn't matter what sex. <laughs> there are people who come to churches who come to churches with an agenda sometimes. They're either mad at the last church and they want to get it straight, set straight at, at the next church, this church, or they've become the truth teller who wants to tell everybody the truth because nobody else knows the truth but them. And they go back to say, well, I'm going to share the truth in love. Well, why does it feel like you just poked me in the eye, right? Uh, those type of folks, beware of those. Because I would say to you, most of those folks that I've encountered, they don't know Jesus. They know a lot about Jesus, and they know some truth, and they know enough that or their angry, upset heart that somebody has injured them possibly uh, along the way that they're going to come in and they'll disrupt your church in a heartbeat. And that's why the Bible tells us to be careful as shepherds, to be careful because there are going to be wolves that come in to this flock and want to disrupt what God's doing in the monks of this flock. And that's why you, as part of this flock and part of Westwood flock, you need to know God's word. So that when people come in and start to disrupt things or, or try to lean things in a direction that is not biblical, that you're able to speak to that. Not all of that falls on Jeff or Chip or anybody else that serves in, in leadership here. Walk in humility. And then gentleness. These words is a guy, if you're a burly kind of guy, you're going, I don't really like these. I played football and Humility wasn't in it, and gentleness certainly wasn't. In the older versions, it's called meekness, right? Which, but for us, gentleness is probably a, a better terminology simply because meekness is so generally misunderstood. To most, meekness suggests weakness, right? You know, Jesus, the picture of Jesus with the, with the glow, you know, in the picture, and he's looking kind of, you know, and he's got the hair care products in there, you know, and it just looks like a guy could look at that picture and go, that doesn't look like the Jesus I want to follow. He's just too meek or whatever. We want to go back, we want to go to Revelation when he gets on the horse and the tattoo is on his leg and he's coming back to, you know, what and take some names, right? But, but that same Jesus with all of that power was gentle and meek with the sheep because of his great love for them. And if you love him and his spirit lives within you, then you need to love others. And try to love them more than you love yourself. That's hard because we love ourselves. But he says, and he, he shows us God, throughout the scriptures in Numbers 12, chapter 3, Moses was not a weak man. He was a strong man, strong enough to appear before Pharaoh declaring, this is what the Lord says, let my people go, right? That's not what a meek man does. I would just text it to him, right? You know, today, it's like, <laughs> by the way, God said, let the people go. That's the meek man. I mean, that's the weak man, not the meek man. And then similarly, the Lord Jesus um, was, was 
was meek or gentle, but yet strong. He said to himself, come to me, all you who are weary or burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And he told the disciples, blessed are the meek, for they will what? Inherit the earth. So humility and gentleness and then patience. Oh, this is where it comes in during the COVID time. Patience within the household, right? But patience with others. Everybody's ready to fight. Go to Walmart, you know? This person's going down the wrong way on the aisle or this person doesn't have a mask on. I mean, people are ready to fight. Then you spread that across our nation with racial tensions and all. People are ready to fight, but yet we need to have patience with one another. I don't like that. Um, so this story is about the, uh, a rather pious individual comes up to uh, his, his pastor. And he asks him to pray that he might have patience. He says, I, I do lack some patience. And, I'm, uh, and he was trying to be humble as he said it. He said, I just wish you would pray for me, pastor. The pastor says, I'll pray for you right now. That's what, that's what we're taught to do, pray right there. Because otherwise we forget, right? Because you think we have this long list in our little brains. And we have to pray for you now because come Tuesday, we're like, what are we supposed to pray for Sister Susie for? So anyway, so he says, okay, I'm going to pray for you right now. The, the preacher replied. So, so then he began to pray. He goes, he started like this. He goes, Lord, please send great tribulation into this brother's life. And the man who asked for the prayer, he put his hand out, and he t- he's trying to be gentle, you know, and touched the preacher on the arm, and he asked him to stop praying. He says, you, you, you must have not heard me correctly. He said, I didn't ask for you to pray for tribulation. I asked for you to pray that I might have patience. The pastor said, oh, I, I heard what you said. He said, but haven't you read Romans 5.3? And not only so. But we glorify in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation works patience. So I'm just doing what the Bible says, and it means that we should acquire patience, that we should, through endurance, through the things that we suffer. And I prayed that, the pastor said, I prayed that God would just send you tribulation so you'd have patience, right? That indeed is how it happens, unfortunately. You can't just sit around and go, gosh, hurry up and give me patience, Right? Patience is something that's played out through living life. Patience is played out through marriage. My wife has a ton of patience. 32 years of marriage, she has a lot of patience. Um, But sometimes we don't want to be patient, especially when it comes into the context of the body of Christ. So we're looking for humility. We're looking to be gentle. We're looking to to, uh, extend patience to one another, which... If you think about patience, it's, it's really where we go to long suffering. Um, it's what Christ has done with us. He has been long suffering towards us. When you look at people, my mom and I have conversations all the time, and she'll say this, why is this happening? Or what about this person? Why do they get away with this? It's because God is long suffering towards that person. They're going to pay the price for their decisions one day, but you don't know that in the midst of all of that, that he has been long suffering because he has a plan and a purpose to draw him to himself through salvation one day. Same thing that he did with you and me. He was long suffering. If he, really, he had the right as the, the holy, right, just creator to wad us up and start over in the garden. I would have done that, right? I was like, I just got two. Let's just wad it up and start it all over, right? But yet he had a plan and a purpose far greater than man's sin. 
And so as we're long-suffering, we are to bear with one another. This relates specifically to the trials that we have as a result of hurtful conduct, conduct towards us by other Christians. We know that the, these scriptures teach us to be long-suffering, but, but um, what if it is a Christian neighbor wronging us in some way? <laughs> what is our attitude to be towards him or her? So Paul's answer is that we are to just endure the wrong, suffer the slight. Sometimes for the sake of unity, as we said before, to give up our right to be right so that we are called to demonstrate our, a way of life superior to that of the ungodly world and show that special unity which is ours in Christ Jesus. He's not calling you to be a doormat, but he's calling you to be long-suffering and patient. And just because it's a Christian brother or sister, you, sister, you don't know what their journey has been. You don't know what's going on in their life at that point in time. Conflict is often a time to sit down with that brother or sister and work through a season that brings them out of a season of hurt and pain into the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. So don't run from conflict, but don't be the one who says, I'll, take the, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to the conflict. I'll go tell them some truth and love. Don't be that guy or that lady. Be gentle. Be long-suffering. Just as what you would want extended to you, right? So the fifth thing that these culminate down into is unity. He, Paul goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It is evident through this, at this point, in case we missed it before, that each of these characteristics will be related to each other and how we deal with others. And they've all been trending in the direction of this matter of unity, which is to be Paul's theme through the next, um, really, about 13 verses here. That Christians are to be one because. Verse 4 through 6, he says this, because there's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is the second important thing to be said about unity. The first was that we have unity given to us by the Holy Spirit. It, it, it corresponds with um, the, some measure of the doctrinal truths in, uh, of Christianity, which is why Paul lapses into doctrine here in, in chapter uh, verses 4 through 6. But second, we are to keep or maintain this unity, which corresponds with the practical or experiential side of Christianity. So, so Paul tells us now, just to direct our focus on the church, Although the word church doesn't appear, he's, he's talking about the body of Christ. And that Paul's concern is to stress the church's unity. And at this point is when the sentence starts as one body. Uh, body being the metaphor of the church, the body of, of Christ. Comparing the church to a body is the appropriate passage because a body is something that works together. And let's think about this. Even though it is composed of any diverse parts, especially because we see this unity that takes place in the body of Christ as, as more organic. Uh, that is, it's, 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 it's achieved not by joining a number of parts or pieces together like we would to make a machine. Uh, but the church is not a diesel engine or a watch or, or a truck. It's a body, and it grows by the multiplication uh, of the cells. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul shows us this image in great length and stressing the, the mutual interdependence of the body parts. And he says this, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and the indispensable, and those parts that we think are, are less honorable, we treat them with special honor. See, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack that honor, so that there should be no division in the body, but that the parts that should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, he says, and you know this, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. We should be excited when God does a work in someone's life, and we, we should celebrate that. You did that last week through baptism. We celebrate that. But we also know in that celebration that we are we're coming alongside them to help them grow in the admonition of the Word of God through Christ, through Sunday school, through small groups, through, through fellowship, through the koinonia, right? We're Baptists. We meet. We eat. So those type of settings, that's what we're saying as the body of Christ. When we come together, we celebrate that. But we also celebrate it as I know Jeff has, gone, has done a funeral in the last week or so. He was telling me about that, that we, we also mourn together. And it's more than taking a casserole to a brother or sister. But that's good. Let me tell you, that's good. But, but we pray for them. And we, we come alongside them and encourage them during a difficult time. Because maybe we've been there. Or maybe we're headed there. And we'll need that one day as well, too. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. If we will be patient with one another, long-suffering, seek out humility... This church, the church, will continue to be effective in this community that God has you planted. He has you planted in this beautiful area out here. Meadowview is a perfect name. As I drive out and see the meadows slowly filling up with houses. But nonetheless, meadows, um, maybe you'll be Udawah North one day. But, uh, but it's a beautiful area. But God's planted you here for a reason. And he's planted you to bring glory to him through the functions and the diversity of Meadowview Baptist Church. So today, as we think about this unity that the world so needs, we need to understand that there's one gospel that joins Christian people across the barriers of time whether it's national, nationality, over race or sex, and anything else that we can imagine. Do you realize that, um, as, as Paul teaches back in chapter 2, that race is a construct of man? That there were his people, and then there was everybody else until Christ. But unity through Christ has made it possible for one people. In the book of Revelation... It says every tribe, tongue, and nation will circle the, the throne. And so while our world will say it's all about race and racial tensions, we, we can say as Christian brothers and sisters, there is one race and that is us under the banner of Jesus Christ. And all of this other stuff is descriptive terms about different people who look different. But if you look into the scriptures, you'll see a diversity of people 
under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the opportunity that we have this side of heaven is to walk with brothers and sisters who are not like us from Cleveland, Bradley County, Hamilton County, or whatever, to walk with each other with diverse giftings and ideas in such a way that the world looks at us and it says it doesn't matter what color, what color background, those people are unified under that Jesus that they say they love. You want to see the church boom? Walk in unity together. Maybe you need to start in your own household. Maybe you need to start in your own church. You know, you can see how this cycles on through. Is that if you're not in unity in your household, you're going to bring potentially disunity into the church. And we can sit in our comfortable pews and seats and, and all on Sunday mornings and look at the world out there and go, why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? And forget that we need to let the Lord clean up our own household first. And then speak his truth in love where we get opportunities. You see, the first three uh, unities that Paul has reminded us have been given centered around the Holy Spirit. But the second three that he tells us in these scriptures are centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last one concerns God the Father, the first person of the Godhead. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through, through all. If any of these points that we've talked about this morning, have a proper effect or, or motivation on us, this one should strike home. Whatever else you want to say about the church, the church is God's church. It is comprised of God's people. It is the result of God's work, and it exists for God's glory. So, Can we let that be our vision? If it is, we'll find that it's not difficult. We'll find it difficult, I should say, to keep or make visible that the unity that God desires has already worked into every fabric of the redeemed lives of the body of Christ. In other words, how to walk in unity, the power to walk in unity, the the words that Paul directs us to walk in unity is all available to us. And we can't do it by ourselves. But with him through us, we can. So maybe we can agree this morning with the psalmist David who proclaimed in Psalm 133, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. You know why unity should be important to you? Because it's important to God. And you know that that it's difficult to maintain, but it's worth the struggle. And do you know that if you're sitting here this morning and, and Christ is not your Savior, then we can't have unity because our unity comes under Christ. Unless, unless you, by the power of the Spirit that drew all of us to, to God the Father through Christ the Son, that you lay down your life and say, I'm tired of living the way I've decided to live because you're right, Paul. Left to myself, I just want more of myself and more of my plans, and that ain't working out so much, so well for me. That today, that you can come, you can come, come and proclaim Him as your Lord and Savior. You don't have to walk an aisle, raise a hand, write it on a card. You can do it where you're se- seated this morning. And if that's what happens during this time of when Chip and the uh, the team come and lead us in a, a final song. If that's what you do, just take your time and do it right there. You can do it at your house this afternoon. Here's what I'm going to tell you. 
If you do that, come and let someone at this church know. They want to not sign you up and put you on a committee, but they want to walk beside you and pray for you and walk with you because it's not going to be easy. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to be better than you doing it on your own. So would you stand with me this morning and would you pray? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.